The America's National Parks podcast is sponsored by L.L. Bean, dedicated to helping you experience all the benefits of time outside and stay more comfortable while you're out there. From soft and breathable activewear designed to do it all, to just right layers perfect for changing weather, to sun smart clothing that blocks the sun's harmful rays, every L.L. Bean product is made with comfortable time outside in mind. Visit LLBean.com to shop now. L.L. Bean. Be an outsider. As fires rage across the West in what will likely be the worst year for wildland fires on record, brave people face them head on to save our structures and our lives. The Fraternity of American Firefighters has always been a boys club. Today, only about 4% are women, and with wildland firefighters, even more so. In the early 1980s, one woman was among the first to join the Arrowhead Interagency Hotshots, an elite National Park Service crew stationed at Sequoia and Kings Canyon National Parks in California. I'm Jason Epperson, and today on America's National Parks, Mary Quar, who defied gender stereotypes to create new spaces for herself and for future generations of women in land management agencies. The text of today's episode comes from Women's Voices, Women in the National Park Service Oral History Project, and the audio comes from an oral history interview conducted by Luann Jones and Leah Baer of the National Park Service Park History Program earlier this year. Mary Quar was born and raised in California. Her appreciation of nature stemmed from annual family camping trips to Yosemite National Park. During one hiking trip at Yosemite at about the age of 10, Quar spotted a solo female hiker and knew right then she wanted to be like her. Quar's initial interest in forest fires emerged while she was attending a summer camp in Southern California. A fire forced the campers to evacuate. While the fire scared and alarmed her fellow campers, it intrigued Quar. In 1971, she ventured out on her first solo backpacking trip from Berkeley to Yosemite with a pound of sunflower seeds and a pound of raisins stuffed inside a $5 Boy Scout pack to keep her fed and a cotton sleeping bag to keep her warm. About this time, she committed herself to the burgeoning feminist movement and to spirituality. When I started backpacking when I was really young, I was I was looking for, it was like in the 70s, and so a lot of people were concerned with alternative spiritual experiences. And I had always wanted, I always liked being outside and being alone in, in nature. And I felt that that was conducive for spiritual growth. And so that's why I sought out uh, being in nature and backpacking. And in the 70s, um, I had started reading feminist books, you know, like Sisterhood is Powerful and, and um, Simone de Beauvoir. I was reading all of these books um, about feminism, and I was really committed to a feminist vision of my life. Before long, Cora was headed down a career path new for women. In 1977, she secured a job as a seasonal firefighter with the U.S. Forest Service. After working for the USFS and later the Bureau of Land Management, in 1992, she believed she had enough experience to apply for a position with the newly established Arrowhead Interagency 
hotshots. The crew agreed. Candidates for the elite hotshot crew had to pass a series of physical fitness tests. The test standards reflected male models of fitness by focusing on upper body strength. All crew members had to complete seven pull-ups. Quora initially struggled to reach the standard, and she spent most of the off-season training to increase her pull-up count. When we were on the hotshot crew, we had to do a minimum of seven pull-ups. You know, and most of the men could do a lot more than that. But upper body strength was not my forte. And I managed to eke out seven pull-ups by training an amazing amount in the wintertime. Just training, 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 training. Because my strength, and most for most women, your strength is in your core and your legs. Which is, which actually, the some of the standards for firefighting physical fitness had no... Nothing to do with whether you could uh, work, you know, do a 24-hour shift or whatever. It was all just built on male models of physical fitness. And at that time, uh, the male model of physical fitness was upper body strength doing pull-ups. Things may have changed now. I don't know. You know, it's the same with structure fire, um, upper body strength. So you could haul people away from fire situations and stuff. But when they really do, uh, when they really do research on the kind of strength that's needed, it's really endurance, you know, which women excel at and which I excelled at, thank God. And so at the end of like, uh, we were doing some 20, we were doing 24 hour shifts back then. It was an experiment and firefighting. And so I would find that at the end of a 24 hour shift, I was still going pretty strong. And a lot of the men that were really had upper body strength. Um, were, were crapping out. I mean, they were um, getting really tired, you know, because their strength was a different kind of strength than my strength. And so I was really happy that that I was suited to that kind of activity, which was really important for fighting fire. As one of the first women to venture into the firefighting profession in the National Park Service, Cora knew she was setting an important precedent. If she failed, she might set back opportunities for other women she had to prove that women could do dangerous and challenging jobs. There was little room for error. I was really acutely aware of uh, that what I was doing, I was a representative for all women because I was the only one. So, and then and it, was, it was not fair, really, but there was a big burden. Whoever is the first, you know, of their, uh, if, they're, if they're in a non-traditional a working situation, whoever they are, um, you do feel the burden on it if you're the first, if you're the very first, you know, I mean, maybe now it isn't, I see, I get the impression from people that are a lot younger than me is they don't feel this burden, you know, and they feel they can make demands for the work situation, stuff like that, you know, but I could never feel that I could make demands. I would just have to, you know, have a stiff upper lip and then just do the best I could. So I, I was always, yeah, I was always saying, oh, I can't fail because I'm representing all women. Quar enjoyed the camaraderie of the hotshots, considered the Marines of firefighting. Hotshots had to be disciplined, prepared to respond at a moment's notice, able to withstand smoke, grime, and fatigue without complaint. Bonds of respect grew from the dangers they faced together and their vow to take care of each other. Crew members sang lewd songs to pass the time, and profanity laced virtually every sentence. The F word was a favorite. 
Cora adapted to the climate by joining in, telling colorful jokes and peppering her language with curse words along with the best of them. However, when male crew members started singing racist and sexist lyrics, Cora drew the line. She refused to participate and convinced the supervisor to ban the songs. In addition to furthering the cause of gender equality in non-traditional careers, firefighting and being outdoors served as an extension of Cora's spiritual practice. Raised a Catholic, she became a Zen Buddhist after an extensive period of reading and reflecting about its values. She took her need for spiritual practice seriously. Oddly enough, the act of firefighting specifically, the unwavering attention and all-consuming focus that it required allowed her to enter a state of mindfulness. Through this relationship with fire, she came to view herself a firefighting monk. The fire career, I saw that I could be out in nature and and uh, while I was actually out in nature, I was doing a good deed for the society. I was uh, I, I was doing something good. So um, that that was a good combination, I thought. And um, I just like being being quiet and being alone out in nature. And then when I um, when I did get more into Buddhist practice, I was really um, interested in ways to maintain mindfulness at a moment to moment level, because you're talking about foundational Buddhist practices. And I noticed that when I was on fires, I was totally in the moment because it's hard to to um, not be concentrating on where you are when you're on a fire. Um, whereas in maybe normal everyday life, you're thinking about lots of things and and there's not the immediacy of the job of fighting the fire. So I thought that that was really good for spiritual practice because um, I could, it was a tool to be more mindful and I was also able to uh, uh, do, have right livelihood, which is one of the eightfold path in Buddhism is right livelihood, which is like doing good things, you know, like being a nurse or a doctor or something like that. So um, that, that was good for that too. Mary Quart went on to build a 30-year career in fire management and fire science with several federal agencies before retiring in 2007. The hotshot years were a defining moment. She proved that women could succeed in a career that demanded strength, stamina, and smarts when they were given a fair chance. This episode of America's National Parks was hosted by me, Jason Epperson, with text and audio from the National Park Service. No affiliation. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search National Park Podcast. You can also join our America's National Parks Facebook group. For more great American destinations, give us a listen at the Sea America Podcast. And if you're interested in RV travel, find us at the RV Miles Podcast. You can also follow Abigail and me as we travel the country with our three boys all over social media as our wandering family. Today's show was sponsored by L.L. Bean. Follow the hashtag BeAnOutsider and visit LLBean.com to find great gear for exploring the national parks.